Welcome to Southside Presbyterian Church. The following sermon was taken from our Sunday gathering. If you'd like to find out more, or if we can help you on your journey in faith, head to our website, www.southsidepc.org, or visit us any Sunday morning at 9am. Ben will be covering the last few chapters of Deuteronomy But I want to read for you the first uh, eight verses of Deuteronomy chapter 31. Uh, If you've got your Bible there, it'll be up on the screen. Deuteronomy 31, this is Moses, uh, the end of his speech to Israel before they enter the promised land. Reading from verse 1. Then Moses went out and spoke these words to all Israel. I'm now 120 years old and I'm no longer able to lead you. The Lord had said to me, You shall not cross the Jordan. The Lord your God himself will cross over ahead of you. He will destroy these nations before you, and you will take possession of their land. Joshua will also cross over ahead of you, as the Lord, God, as the Lord said. And the Lord will do to them what he did to Sihon and Og, the kings of the Amorites, whom he destroyed along with their land. The Lord will deliver them to you. And you must do to them all that I have commanded you. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Then Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in the presence of all Israel, Be strong and courageous. For you must go with this people into the land that the Lord swore to their ancestors to give them. And you must divide it among them as their inheritance the Lord himself goes before you and will be with you he will never leave you nor forsake you do not be afraid do not be discouraged thanks Ross good morning everyone my name is Ben if we haven't met before we're going to finish this book up if you've been with us on the journey of Deuteronomy but before we do let's pray and then we'll hook into it Heavenly Father, thank you so much uh, for the joy it is to be here this morning. As we've already sung and reflected on, Lord, you are such an awesome God who has done so much for us. We pray now that as we open your word and hear it, that you would give us hearts to understand. And we pray that this morning we would be different people having met with the living God as we walk out this morning. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So be strong and courageous. That was the line in the Bible reading a moment ago. But I want to know if you've got something in your house with this verse on it. Because if you didn't know, you can pretty much buy this verse on anything. On a coffee table plaque, on a t-shirt, on a journal. You can get it on a pendant and put it around your neck. You can also get it on your coffee cup so that in the morning when you're drinking coffee, you can remind yourself, I've got this. Be strong and courageous. Now, I wonder if you've ever wondered why it is that this verse particularly sells so well in a culture like ours. See, on the one hand, I think it's pretty obvious. It's a great verse. It's super clear. Be strong and courageous. That's nice. But on the other hand, I wonder if this verse sells so well in a culture like ours because we love the idea that I can help myself. You know, the self-help industry is massive here in Australia and in countries like ours. In fact, in the U.S. in 2019, it was an $11 billion industry. People are spending lots of money on books and leaders and seminars and everything they can get their hand on 
to tell them that they can just fix their own problems, whether it's seven habits to effective leadership or 10 breathing exercises that will change your life or 14 different uh, workout routines. If you just do these things, you can fix your own problems. And so we find a verse like this, and all of a sudden it feels like this is God's pep-up talk to us. You know, when faced with life's difficulties, when the kids are going crazy, when we're faced with a work crisis, when we're in a global pandemic, take a sip of your coffee cup. Remind yourself, be strong and courageous. I've got this. Now, you know, I don't want to underplay that a Bible verse in our house is a bad, I don't want to say that's a bad thing. You know, I've got a journal with this. I got given it this week, actually, which was lovely. So, and any time in our life we can get the Bible into our lives, I think it's a good thing. But it does make you wonder, is this the way this verse was meant to be read? You know, as God's pep up talk. Was God kind of just saying to us, you've got this, be strong and courageous? Or did God mean something else when he was saying a verse like this? And more than that, if God doesn't just give us this verse to speak into difficult moments of our life or challenging times, what does God say or how does God help us when we're faced with life's problems? When faced with difficulties, how does God help us through that? Well, this morning, we're going to push into that space. And the reason we're doing it is because the moment we find ourselves in the book of Deuteronomy, we find Israel, in a real time and place in history, are entering into a new season, and it's going to be pretty difficult for them. In fact, so if you've missed it, if you've missed the last seven weeks or so, we've been on this journey where Moses, the pastor of God's people, has been preaching to Israel as they sit on the grass facing the promised land. Okay, so across the road is a land flowing with milk and honey. It's really good. And he's been saying, this is what you've got to do to get there, right? If you want life, if you want to flourish, and we've seen this over and over again, listen to God, love God. That's essentially his message. If you listen to God, you will flourish, you will live. If you don't, you will die, right? But now we get to the point where last time we were in Deuteronomy in chapter 30, he gave everything that he's got to say, now choose life. Now we're into the transitional moment for Israel. And it's about to get a little bit strange and a little bit weird and a little bit difficult. And we're going to find Israel face three difficulties in this next few chapters. And we see God speak into those difficulties in a way that I think, as we reflect on it this morning, is going to help us and encourage us as we have to do our lives. Okay, so what are those difficulties? Well, let's pick up the first one because this season they're going to have a new leader. And it's going to be a little bit challenging for them. So let's pick it up in chapter 31. It begins at verse 1 where Moses says, I am now pretty old, 120 years old, and I'm no longer able to lead you. So what does he do? Well, he gets Joshua in those next verses, and he says, you got Joshua, that's pretty cool. And then he says it twice there, this, you know, this verse, to Israel first and foremost in verse 6, be strong and courageous, for the Lord is with you. And then verse 7, he pulls Joshua aside and he goes, Joshua, be strong and courageous for the Lord goes before you and he is with you. New leader. We've got a new leader in Israel. It's going to be a transitional, a difficult season for them. But up front, looks pretty good, doesn't it? Looks pretty good. Moses is dead, so that's a big deal. But he says Joshua's there and he's going to be a pretty good leader. Be strong and courageous. There's our verse. How good's that? It sounds pretty optimistic. But you see, as we keep reading, this is the high point for Joshua's leadership and for Israel in these chapters. Because as we keep going, we see pretty much it goes downhill from here. So in verse 19 to 13, Moses gives them this command to read the first five books of the Bible every seven years. But then we pick it up in verse 14 where it gets to his commissioning service. 
Okay, so Joshua is going to officially grab the baton from Moses. They gather together, and here's the commissioning service. And what are you expecting at a commissioning service? You know, what are you expecting? A celebration, maybe. Right? Is that what we're expecting next week? I hope so. Some drinks, maybe? A party? Ross? Maybe. We'll see. But, but this is what you're expecting, kind of, right? A, a bit of a party, a bit of a celebration. But what do we get? Well, they gather together. God rocks up, which is pretty cool. And what does God say? Let's have a look. Verse 16, uh, verse 15, God rocks up. And then verse 16, he says to Moses this. You are going to rest with your ancestors, and these people will soon prostitute themselves to the foreign gods of the land they are entering. They will forsake me and break the covenant I made with them, and in that day I will become angry with them and forsake them. I will hide my face from them, and they will be destroyed. Many disasters and calamities will come on them. And in that day they will ask, have not these disasters come on us because our God is not with us? And I will certainly hide my face in that day because of their wickedness in turning to other gods. Then God gives Moses a song, so they uh, don't forget what God said, but we'll get to that in a moment. And then in verse 23, he says this, God says this to Joshua again. In verse 23, be strong and courageous, for you will bring the Israelites into the land I promised them on oath, and I myself will be with you. How's that for a commissioning service? And can you picture being Joshua in this moment? It's like new opportunities, a new job, maybe a new car in that as well. There's all this new stuff that he's excited for. And then God rocks up and says, by the way, the people you're about to lead are not very good. In fact, he says they're going to abandon God. They're going to worship other gods. And I'm going to judge them for that. It's going to be terrible. Disasters, everything because of their wickedness upon them. Right? This is almost like the world's biggest stitch-up for Joshua. He's the new leader, and the people are horrible, terrible people. It's going to be insane for Joshua to lead this people because of, the, of how they are and what they do and how they reject God. You know, I can't imagine what that must feel like for Joshua. But God doesn't leave him alone. He gives him the same promises that he had with Moses. And what is that? Well, he says that line, Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. But let's think about it. What does he mean with be strong and courageous? And, and how come we've heard this like three times in the last three minutes? Why is this coming up so much? Why the repetition of be strong and courageous? You know, I think when we think about how we use this verse, it's I've got enemies to overcome, so I need to be strong and courageous to overcome my enemies. And there is a sense of that in this passage that Joshua is going to have to overcome his enemies. But this time around that we get be strong and courageous it's on the back of the Israelites' rebellion. I just think that's interesting. Like, it's not just the enemies outside of Israel that are going to be Josh's problem. I think his problems are going to be primarily with the people of Israel. It's not outside the wall, it's inside the walls. Their rebellion. And he needs to be strong and courageous because being a leader with rebellious and difficult people is going to be hard. God doesn't leave him alone. He says, be strong and courageous. But what's the key to him being strong and courageous? Is it seven habits? Is it breathing exercises, workout routines? Well, the lion comes there. It's be strong and courageous. But then he says this, for I myself will be with you. That is the key line to anything when we're thinking about be strong and courageous. It's not because you've got it in you. It's because the God of the universe who made everything and is powerful and awesome and mighty and all of that, 
He's going to be right there with you in the middle of this. In a new leader, with a new leader, in a new season, God's promises are the same. I'm going to be with you. So you can have a strength and a courage of knowing that wherever you are, God is right there with you. Now, what does this look like for Joshua? Well, it's kind of like this, you know, and you might have experienced this if you've got kids or if you've seen it through nephews and nieces or friends or whatever. But we've had this experience in the last year with our daughter Poppy. So um, she turns one in the next week, which is exciting. But it has been for us one of the most difficult years of our life and the best years of our life at the same time. And I feel like being a parent, you're just, you're always learning and you're usually learning from your mistakes. And it took us a little while to realize this with Poppy, but when we go into a new environment or a new place, whether it's, you know, crate or a friend's house or whatever, if we go into that environment and just kind of dump Poppy, you know, on the ground and walk away, instantly she cracks it, right? She screams and cries. She yells the house down and she gives us that look, how dare you leave me in this moment? And so it took us, you know, way longer than it should have to realize this, but in a new environment, we've realized that if we just give her a bit, you know, if we hold on to her for five minutes, what happens is she transforms into this brave little girl who will want your attention and steal your toys and put your handbag in her mouth and eat the food off the ground. She just transforms, right? But we realized for her to be strong and courageous, it wasn't us sitting her down going, Poppy, you've got to be stronger. You can't be crying in the middle of a difficult moment. No, for her, the transformation came when she knew the presence of her mum and dad was right there with her. Now, this is what's going on with Joshua. Right? God doesn't sit him down and go, listen, the enemies are going to be hard and, you know, your people are going to be hard. So, man, you just got to be stronger. Find that inner strength and then you can do this. No, God says be strong and courageous because I'm going to be with you. I'm not going to dump you in the middle of difficulty. I'm going to be present right there with you in the middle of that. Now, how much do we need to remember that? So often we think in the moments of difficulty in our life, God's just dumped us and he's ran. But God doesn't do that for his people. He's right there with his leader. And Joshua's ability to be strong and courageous lies in the fact that God is there, present with him. The God who made the universe, the God who gave them victory over, you know, Sihon and Og, those big enemies, the, the God who did all of that stuff, the God who carried them through the wilderness is going to be there with Joshua. So do you see how God speaks into this first difficulty, this new season of their new leadership? It's the same promise. God says, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you. Now, that's the first way that we see God speak into difficulties of this new season. As we keep reading, though, and keep going, what we see is the second way God speaks into a new season, and it's got a new song with the same message. Now, we see this in our passage when we get to chapter 32, because the old guy gets up and sings. You can tell he's old, because he doesn't care what people think, thinks, and he's about to sing for a long time. Right? This is a long, a long song. So, thank me after the service with you know coffee or whatever but i'm not going to sing it for you this morning and i'm also not going to read all of the verses because it's long now as a side point if you've ever thought some of the songs we sing at Southside are long some of the songs in the bible are like five times as long as any song we sing here at church 
right? So maybe we just got to check ourselves a little bit there. But, but here's a long song. Now, what's, what's the song all about? Well, essentially, it's two ideas. And you can, pretty much any verse you pick in this song will be one of these two ideas. And the first idea is this, God loves you. And the second idea is this, sin leads to death. Okay, so let's see some of how this plays out. So the first idea, God loves you. We pick it up from verse 7 of this song. Moses sings, Remember the days of old. Consider the generations long past. Ask your father and he will tell you, your elders, and they will explain to you. When the Most High gave the nations their inheritance, when he divided all mankind, he set up boundaries for the peoples according to the number of the sons of Israel. For the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob, his allotted inheritance in a desert land, he found him in a barren and howling waste. He shielded him and cared for him. He guarded him as the apple of his eye. The first idea we see in this song is that God loves his people. Right? He, he, the Israel, they are God's inheritance, God's portion. And then he says it at that last bit, he cared for them, he shielded them, and they are the apple of his eye. Now that is a weird saying. And the more you think about it, the weirder it gets. But we know what it means. It's this idea of like, I can't take my eyes off of you. You have my attention. You know, we, we get this from partners. We get this to really close friends. We see this with parents and their children. This is what love looks like. You have my attention. And God is saying that of his people. They don't have to search to find God's eyes, his attention. They've already got it. They, he, he holds them. God holds his people so highly in his heart. It's beautiful. So you get the first idea there. God loves them. But then you get the second idea, sin leads to death. Okay, so we see this from verse 15 is one of the ways we see this. It speaks about this. It says this, They abandoned the God who made them and rejected the rock, their savior. They made him jealous with their foreign gods and angered him with their detestable idols. They sacrificed to foreign gods which are not God, gods they had not known, gods that had recently appeared, gods your ancestors did not fear. You deserted the rock who fathered you. You forgot the God who gave you birth. The Lord saw this and rejected them because he was angry by his, angered by his sons and daughters. I will hide my face from them, he said, and see what their end will be. For they are a perverse generation, children who are unfaithful. You see the second idea, sin leads to death. They rejected God and what does that result in? Death. God will hide his face from them. No longer do they have God's attention, his affection. If they sin, if they reject God, they will face the judgment for that. And so this is the song. On the one hand, God loves you. And on the other hand, it's sin leads to death. Now the question is, why are we hearing the same message again? And why a song? You know, we've had this message pretty much the whole journey of Deuteronomy. We've seen this over and over again, that God loves you. You know, we've talked about relationship first. God put his affection on his people before they did anything. Then we've reflected on throughout this series that sin leads to death. We've heard this a number of times. So why the same message and why a song? Well, it's to do with the nature of what songs do. And here we're going to see two reasons why it's a song. The first reason is so they don't forget this truth. 
Now, we actually get a hint of this in chapter 31, verse 21, if you've got your Bibles there, where he says, this song will testify against them so that it will not be forgotten uh, by their descendants. So it's a song so they don't forget it. Now, we know this. Songs get stuck in your head. We know this truth. That's why it's so important that when we're teaching kids, we use songs to teach them anything. That's why at church it's so important that we sing. That's why it matters to think about what music we're listening to outside of church because songs get stuck in your head. And you know this. You know that you remember songs from your childhood, but you don't remember many words. right? So for me, I grew up in a church, and I don't remember any single sermon. I couldn't tell you a word from a sermon growing up. It's not that they didn't have an impact on me. I think they might have, but I don't remember a single sermon. But you know what I do remember? The song about the Lord who cares for the old black crow. And so when me and Poppy are hanging out and see a black crow, I'm singing that song to her. It's just what songs do. Songs get stuck in your head. And it's an amazing way to remember the truth that you want to remember. And so God says, let's teach you a song. Let's make it so that even though when Moses dies, you're going to remember. You're not going to forget this truth. And what's the truth they've got to remember? God loves them. God loves you. God loves you. Sing it with me now. God loves you. But, but also, sin leads to death. Sing it. Sin leads to death. If you reject God, he will hide his face from you. So the first reason that it's a song is so they don't forget it. But the second reason is because of this. Songs hit us more emotionally than words do. Now, you, I think we know this. But did you know that there's a song called The Happy Song by Imogen Heap that apparently has all the psychological elements to it to be the happiest song in the world? And so when we've driven in the car with Poppy, we put on the happy song, telling her to be happy. And you know what? It doesn't always make her happy, but I feel happy when we sing that song. Now, that's not manipulation. That's just what songs do. If it's an upbeat song, it's going to make you feel happy. If it's a melancholy song, it's going to make you feel sad. If it's a song that pumps you up, you're going to feel pumped up. This is what songs do. They hit us more emotionally than just words do. I wonder if you've experienced this. You know, you ever been listening to a song and all of a sudden it just, you weren't expecting it to emotionally move you like that? You ever been at church and and all of a sudden, right, you've just been singing and then you just well up? tear up. Man, that's happened to me so many times. I wasn't expecting it. It just, it just happens. There's been moments where I've heard songs that remind me of loved ones, and it just wrecks me. Or songs that pump you up. You know, so we, we have playlists to do this, but there's sometimes you listen to songs, and you get out of the car, and you're like, yeah, I'm ready for it. This is what songs do. They move us emotionally. In fact, you could say it like this. Songs help us feel the truth that we know. Songs help us feel the truth that we know. Whereas, you know, words in some ways are for your head, songs are for your heart. Now, why does this matter in Deuteronomy? Why does it matter in Deuteronomy that this is what songs do? Well, let's have a look. It's in chapter 32, verse 45. Moses gets to the end of this song, and then he says this, Take these words to heart, all that I've declared to you. And then verse 47, These are not just idle words for you, they are your life. You see why we've got a song here and not just the same message preached to them? It's because Moses wants them to feel this truth, to take it to heart, to recognize that the message that God gives his people, they're not idle words. 
This is their life. This is everything to them. And so they have this song that becomes a part of their kind of national anthem as they move forward to remember over and over and over again, number one, God loves me. And not just feeling that, not just knowing about that, but loving God back. Right? Like we're not just meant to read about God loving me and going, cool, I know more about God. It's meant to move us emotionally so I go, I love God. And also sin leads to death, right? We're not just meant to know about the fact that sin leads to death. It's meant to move us. We're meant to be broken by that and fall at the mercy of God. This is what we're meant to do. This is what songs do. And this is what God wants for us. He doesn't just want us to have idle words. He wants it to be our life. And so this is why Israel have this song. And this is why throughout history, Christians have sung. And this is why for us here at church, we sing. It's because we don't just want to know the truth about God. We want to love Him. We don't just want to know that sin leads to death. We want to be broken by it. And, and, and it's because when we sing, we want to stand together and not just read idle words on the back, but to declare it from the depths of who we are that these words that I'm singing are my life. What would it look like if you sang the words on the screen as if they were your everything? Moses here gives these words, this song to Israel because he wants them to know God loves them and sin leads to death and he wants them not just to know about it but to know it in the depth of who they are. So we get a new song. Same message but a new song. A song they wouldn't forget and a song that hits them in their heart. So number one, we've got a new leader, same promises. Number two, a new song same message and then finally number three as we wrap this up what we see is a new future but the same hope however as we get to this we're going to find this new hope put to us in a different way that we've seen and so let's discover it so at the end of this song Moses finishes and then God tells him he's going to go up to the mountain and see the promised land but he doesn't get to go in We'll get to that in a second. Chapter 33 rolls around and Moses gives his benediction before he goes up to the mountain. It's kind of like his blessing. That's what you know, a benediction is. It's almost the, the moment at the end of the sermon the service where you just go, God bless you. This is Moses' way of going, God bless you. And the blessing that he gives in chapter 33 is essentially you don't know how lucky you are that God loves you. But then chapter 34 rolls around and Moses goes up to the mountain to look at the promised land, but he doesn't get to go in. And God speaks this in verse 4 to Moses. He says this, Then the Lord said to him, This is the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob when I said, I will give, you, I give it to your descendants. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you will not cross over to it. And this has been his journey for the last 40 years. Take this rebellious people to this point to go into the land and he doesn't get to go in. That'd be so heartbreaking. But he dies. In verse 5, we see this. Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in Moab, as the Lord had said. He buried him in Moab, in the valley opposite to Beth Peor. But to this day, no one knows where his grave is. Moses was 100 year, 120 years old when he died, and yet his eyes were not weak, nor his strength gone. The Israelites grieved for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days, until the time of weeping and mourning was over. Now, we've got to feel the weight of Moses' death. Because he's not just any guy. He is their pastor who has cared for them over the years. He's their shepherd who has led the sheep. He is their prophet who has spoken the words of God. 
You know, and he's been with them for 40 years. So, you know, just consider that. He's been with them with the highs and lows of life. He's seen them change and grow. He's watched them give birth and birthdays and anniversaries. He's celebrated all of that with them. He's also walked with these people through the difficulties of life, the challenges, death and suffering and sickness. Moses has been with them through all of it. And he dies. It's heartbreaking. It's, it's sad. It would mess with you a little bit. And as we see this and read the account of his death, it's two things. On the one hand, it's really underwhelming. You know, he just dies. No one knows where his grave is. That's it. That's the last time you saw Moses go up to the mountain. You didn't see him come back down. And that's it. On the one hand, it's strange and underwhelming. On the other hand, it's sad. And for 30 days, this whole nation joins together and mourns the loss of their pastor. And what happens is, whenever you find yourself in moments of really strange times and really sad times, what happens, the impact that has on you is you just have questions, uncertainty. Why did that just happen? Why did our leader just go up the mountain and not come back down? Why? Why? And what's next for us? Like, how are we going to do the future without Moses? You know, in moments of strangeness and sorrow, there's always questions. And these questions are even further accentuated when we get to verse 9. Because verse 9 says, okay, Joshua's going to be your leader, right? So that sounds good. But then look at verse 10. Since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face who did all those signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do in Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his officials and to the whole land. For no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. Now, just quickly, it's worth pointing out that obviously Moses didn't write that about himself. A scribe who helped Moses put these books together wrote that. But these are not just the scribe's opinion. This is the word of God. This is God's opinion of what happened. And so you find yourself in this moment, on the grass. Your leader's gone. He didn't come back. It's really strange. It's really sad. You have all these questions. And then you look up and you see Joshua, who looks good, but you're told he's not going to be as good as Moses. The old guy's gone and the new guy, whatever he lives up to, whatever leadership he gets to, he's just not going to be as good as Moses. We're not going to reach those heights again. And so what are you feeling on the grass overlooking the promised land? Questions, confusion, uncertainty. How are we going to do it? How do we get through this? What's the next season look like? And then verse 10 finishes and the book is over. Just like that. Left in the middle of confusion. So let's ask the question, why does the book finish like this? Why is such a weird ending to a book that we've been on a journey for so long. Why is it just finished like this? Well, I think the answer is because what God is doing here is reminding them of a new future, uncertain future, but the hope is still the same. You see, the message right throughout the book of Deuteronomy is that when God's people are faced with desperation, it doesn't lead them to despair. It leads them to God. When faced with difficulty, God's people are not meant to be crushed and crippled by it as if God's just dumped them in the middle of it. It's meant to lead them to God. 
And we've seen that from day one. If they're going to flourish in the land, it's going to be because they listen to God and love God and fall at His mercy and depend on God. And so this ending is here to say, listen, Joshua won't be as good. No human leader will be as good as the guy we just had. But if you want to flourish and live in the land, your hope is the same. It's God. So choose life. The Lord is your life. Choose to follow him and listen to him. So there it is, the three difficulties and how God speaks into it. New leader, same promises. New song, same message. New future, same hope. Now as we get to the end of this book and the end of this section, we do want to ask the question once again, what do we do with this? What does this mean for us as we go into our lives? And on this journey uh, in Deuteronomy, we've been seeing how from the Old Testament, To see how it applies to us, you can ask three simple questions. And you can ask these questions anywhere in the Old Testament, not just in Deuteronomy. And the first question we ask is, what does it mean for the original audience? What does it mean for an Israelite sitting on the grass? And I hope it's been really clear today that what it meant for the Israelites sitting on the grass overlooking the promised land is simply this. If you want to live, fall at the mercy of God. He loves you and he's for you. Listen to him, love him. That's where you will flourish. But if you don't, if you go after other gods or go your own way, you will die. And so where are you going to find your hope? What choice are you going to make, God or death? That's what it means for the Israelite, sitting on the grass. The next question we ask is, how does this point us to Jesus? Now we ask this question because Jesus himself said the whole Bible is about Jesus. So how does this point us to Jesus? Well, the ending of the book of Deuteronomy leaves us a little bit disappointed in human leadership. Right? I don't know if you knew that or saw that there, but we're told no prophet was ever like Moses again. And the problem with that is Moses was top tier when it comes to prophets. The reason was, so he spoke the words of God to people, so that's what a prophet did. But he was also, Moses was also a little bit different because he was also a mediator. So he spoke to God on behalf of the people. So he spoke the words of God to the people, people to God. But then he was also the shepherd, the pastor, the one who cared for his people. And Deuteronomy basically ends, he was the best, and yet he wasn't good enough. Did you feel the weight of that? Like he died. He didn't get to go into the promised land. He didn't get to be with his people. He didn't get to finish the job that he started. The best among us is not good enough. And this leaves us longing for someone better. And so this is where Jesus rocks up. In Mark, the biography of Jesus, what do you reckon, Simon, pushed through? Thumbs up. All right. I'll try not to move around. So in Mark, the biography of Jesus, Mark wants to make it very clear that Jesus is the new Moses. Okay, so we see this here. I've got it on the screen. In chapter 6, verse 34, Jesus takes his disciples to a quiet place and a large crowd follows Jesus. So what does Jesus do? Well, look, he has compassion on them. But then you just get this line, because they were like a sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Who's that remind you of? Moses. Jesus is the new Moses. He's going to be the new shepherd and the new teacher. Moses was the shepherd and Moses taught them. But then this just keeps going on. Like Mark wants to make it very clear. You can't finish the book of Mark and not go, this is the new Moses. So in a moment, the crowd's going to get hungry and Jesus gets a a loaf of bread and looks up to the heaven and what does he do? He feeds them. 
bread from heaven. Who does that sound like? Moses. Because when Moses was leading his people through the wilderness, he gave them bread from heaven. Straight after this moment, Jesus walks on the water. And that's reminding us of Moses, who took his people across the Red Sea. Sure, he didn't walk on the top of water, but he took them across a sea. Jesus walks over the sea for the rest of the book. Moses taught the words of God. Jesus teaches the words of God. And then Moses, in his death, gets led outside the promised land, up a hill and dies. Jesus is taken outside of the city, up a hill, and killed on a cross. We're supposed to see that Jesus is like Moses. But it's at his death that we begin to see that he's so much better than Moses. Because Moses died in failure, Jesus' death was victory. Moses died because he deserved it. Sin leads to death. He had earned that. He didn't get to go into the promised land because he wasn't good enough. But Jesus' death, he didn't deserve it. And he died to give people victory and a hope that sin may not lead to death for those who put their trust in Jesus. Moses, when he died, was buried in a grave that no one knew, that no one visited, never to be seen again. But Jesus was a public grave where we're told in Mark 16, three women go and visit for the first time. And what do they see? The body is gone. They see Jesus alive. And he appears to over 500 people. In every moment where Moses failed, Jesus gave victory. Moses couldn't be with God's people, couldn't lead them to the promised land, couldn't deal with the problem of sin. But Jesus does. He's always with his people. He deals with the problem of sin and he leads us to an eternal hope of glory an eternal promised land. Do you see how this points to Jesus in every single way? Jesus is the new and better leader, the one we needed and the one we got. So that's how it points us to Jesus. That's how the, the ending points us to Jesus. He's the new and better Moses. Then finally, we ask the final question. What does it mean for us in light of who we are in Jesus? And there's two things here very quickly today. The first thing is we've got to put our trust in Jesus. He's your only hope. No one else can deliver you. No one else can deal with your problems. No one else can be there fully the way that you need to in difficulty. No one can deal with the problem of sin. No one can take you to a secure and safe future. There's just no one who can do it. No politician, no pastor, no friend, no mentor. And listen to me, not even yourself. You can't do it. You can't deal with your own problems doesn't matter how good your seven habits are. You just can't do it. But Jesus can. And he says, if you trust in him, he will be with you in difficulty. He will deal with your sin and he will give you a secure and safe future hope. So do you trust in Jesus? He's inviting you to put your trust in him. The first thing what it means for us is we've got to put our hope in Jesus, not any other human authority or institution or anything like that in Jesus alone. But then the second thing it means for us is this, we can be strong and courageous. But our strength and courage doesn't lie in me. We don't have to be people that have it all together. We don't have to be people that rock up to church each week saying we've had the best week ever, nothing's gone wrong with us. Our strength and courage doesn't come from within. It doesn't come from our self-help ability, our strength that we found within our breathing exercises or whatever else. No, our strength and our courage comes from knowing that God hasn't dumped us in the middle of difficulty. He's right there with us. 
And our strength comes from knowing that the God who made the universe and defeated sin and death is there, present in our darkest and most difficult moments. Now this is something that we in our house have experienced in the last year. You know, in the first six months of Poppy's life, we experienced some pretty difficult stuff. And I think for me, I, you, you might declare it as postnatal depression is what I walked through. And man, it was dark and hard. And I remember reading this book, listening to this book, Taking Poppy for a Walk One Morning by Paul Tripp on Parenting, which is an amazing book. And he just had this one line where he said, God doesn't call you to something you're able. He doesn't call you to something you're able to do. But he never calls you to something without promising to be there with you. And what carried me through darkness and difficulty was knowing that in the middle of it, I can go into my day knowing that Jesus is right there with me. He will never dump you into difficulty and not be there with you. You can be strong and courageous, but not because you've got the ability to do that, but because the one who made the universe, who loves you, who's for you, who defeated sin and death, is present with you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the hope that we have in Jesus. God, thank you that your promises are good and sure. And thank you that you don't just dump us in the middle of difficulty and not, not be there with us. God, we pray that as we reflect on this and then finally as we sing this last song, we pray that these words would be our life. And from the depth of who we are, we would remember that great is your faithfulness to us. When life is going well and when everything is falling apart, that you are still faithful and still God and still your promises are sure. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.